BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The massive Dixie fire in Plumas and Butte counties is now the third largest blaze in state history, burning more than 432,000 acres. In terms of the firefight today, weather conditions are expected to be better. Smoke will cover much of the fire zone, bringing cooler temperatures and higher humidity. This comes after two days of erratic winds that led to a number of spot fires flaring up. One of those spot fires took place on Wednesday, tearing through the Gold Rush era town of Greenville in Plumas County, destroying much of its downtown. During a briefing last night, Plumas County Sheriff Todd Johns opened with remarks about Greenville. For those of you that don't know, I'm a lifelong resident of Greenville. And I want to start by saying my heart is crushed by what has occurred there and to the folks that have lost residences and businesses. Uh, I've met some of them already. Their life is now forever changed. Sheriff Johns was then asked about why evacuation orders were lifted for Greenville earlier this week. The orders were never lifted. The orders were changed from a mandatory back to a warning status. Uh, There were approximately three, I believe, to four days of very favorable weather. And then, of course, what happened was, is the wind changed. Um, We got uh, unanticipated weather. That fire spotted out. John says the mandatory evacuation order was put back in place on Tuesday. The sheriff says, although there isn't an exact count yet, he believes more than 100 homes were lost in the town. But no deaths or injuries have been reported in Greenville. Meanwhile, firefighters continue to battle the river fire near the Sierra Foothills town of Colfax. That blaze burned dozens of structures on Wednesday and forced thousands to seek shelter at hastily set up evacuation centers. The California reports Mary Franklin Harvin has more. Karen Williams and Sandy Mallory live close to where the river fire broke out, and they say it moved fast. Within minutes, it went to a large white plume of smoke, and you started getting the alerts from the sheriff's office, right? Sheriff, yeah. Once we got those calls, it was 45 minutes and we had to leave. They and Mallory's dogs are now staying in a friend's RV at the Bear River High School evacuation site in Grass Valley and they've been told they may not get to go home until August 15th. At the same site, Claudia Schwindemann was resting in the shade at an outdoor table. She's lived in the area for two decades, but says dealing with a wildfire is a new experience. First one I've ever personally been involved in. Schwindemann is from the community of Chicago Park, where homes burned Wednesday. She says she lost her home insurance a few years back, 
just like many residents of fire-prone parts of the state. Now, she's on a state-backed plan. Yeah, now I'm playing double for less coverage, so it's that's tough on a, especially on a, well, on anybody. But when you're on a fixed income, it gets a little challenging. She says, as far as she knows, her house is okay. But it's not clear yet when she'll be able to get back home. And for now, she'll be staying at the evacuation site. For the California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. And an update this morning. There's been no change in the size of the river fire as it's burned 2,600 acres, but containment has doubled overnight to 30%. The blaze has now destroyed at least 88 structures. A year ago this month, hundreds of thousands of Californians lost power in a series of rolling blackouts. A later state analysis found that energy planners simply weren't prepared for the effects of climate change and didn't have the right mix of power sources available, even as the state moves to greater reliance on renewable energy sources. So, as California faces another summer of extreme heat waves and wildfires, could big blackouts happen again? The California report talked about that with Elliot Mainzer, the CEO of the California Independent System Operator, or CalISO. It's in charge of the state's electrical grid. Our first question to Mainzer, can grid managers avoid another year of rolling blackouts and keep the lights on? We've got a shot at it, but it's going to take a lot of work, honestly. We've tried to be very clear-eyed about how significant the challenges are ahead of us. We've got temperatures, and loads and strains on the system, fires, conditions that really I think were in many ways unthinkable even a year ago that we've got to contend with. So we've given ourselves some new tools in the toolbox. And the hope, of course, is to work across this summer, both working with consumers to use less power during those extremely stressed periods of the grid to access some additional backup generation, but really to do the hard work over the long term, making sure we have the clean capacity and the resources that we need to help maintain reliability on this path towards a decarbonized power system. So, Mr. Manager, it sounds like what you're saying is that you and grid managers will do your best to avoid rolling blackouts this summer, but you can't completely guarantee they won't happen. Is that right? That's right. You know, you can never provide 100% certainty. And, you know, we know that you know, the situation that is the biggest risk for California, given the fact that we import about 25% of our electricity from other parts of the West, is when it gets really hot everywhere across the West simultaneously. This is what happened last August where it's, it's really hot in California. It's really hot in the Pacific Northwest where we get a lot of hydro. It's hot in the desert Southwest and the Intermountain West. At that time, honestly, for the entire Western United States right now, there is not enough capacity in the ground and not, not enough electricity available for everybody when those conditions materialize. And so we can never give you our perfect certainty, but we're gonna do everything we possibly can to keep the lights on. You know, last month there was this fire in Oregon that knocked out transmission lines feeding power to California, and it looked like parts of the state would go dark had it not been for the emergency use of other sources of power like oil-burning power plants. It was a really close call, and I'm wondering if that's our foreseeable future, where we're always one wildfire, one heat wave away from some part of the grid going down. Well, as you know, back on July 9th, that big fire up in Oregon, that bootleg fire did cause the major transmission lines from the Northwest into California to go out of service. The whole state of California lost about 5,500 megawatts of electricity. That's a lot of power. That's, you know, about a, think of it as about a, about a tenth of the state's electricity. Okay. 
And it took our grid right to the edge that evening. We used pretty much every tool in the toolbox to maintain reliability. And I can tell you those power system operators in Folsom who were running the grid that evening were right at the edge. And we were able to, to hold on at the edge. But the bottom line is that the key thing we need to do in the next, you know, starting now, starting yesterday, really, is to begin putting that next generation of clean capacity into the system. Those battery storage resources, other types of electricity supplies that can help us maintain reliability after sunset, right? And that we know that's the big challenge. You know, California actually ends up often exporting a lot of electricity during the daytime to other states because we have a lot of surplus solar energy and other generation. But as the sun comes down, it's that really stressed period of the grid that we need to solve. Of course, the next few years, we're going to try to move the grid away from being at the edge. During this transition, though, it's all hands on deck and we need these additional tools and we need to get the, the consumer conservation model put together in the right fashion. All right. That is Elliot Mainzer, the CEO of Cal ISO, the operator of the state's electrical grid. Mr. Mainzer, thanks so much. My pleasure. Good to be with you. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Let's turn to the pandemic now. California will require that all healthcare workers be fully vaccinated against COVID-19 by September 30th. And hospitals will need to verify that all visitors are vaccinated too. KQED's Raquel Maria Dillon has more. California is the first in the nation to issue this kind of vaccine mandate. It's expected to affect more than 2 million healthcare employees. When Governor Gavin Newsom previewed the order last week, he indicated workers could choose to be tested frequently instead. But this health order doesn't provide that option, though there are exceptions for medical or religious reasons. State public health officials are also ordering hospitals and other healthcare facilities to check all visitors for proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test within the previous three days. They say during the current surge of the Delta variant, outbreaks in healthcare settings have been traced to unvaccinated vaccinated staff, even though healthcare workers got priority access to vaccines this winter. For the California Report, I'm Raquel Maria Dillon. With COVID-19 hospitalization rates on the rise, Fresno Mayor Jerry Dyer announced this week that all unvaccinated city employees will soon be required to take weekly COVID tests. Valley Public Radio's Madi Bolaños reports. 
During a press conference at City Hall, the mayor said at least 36% of the over 4,000 city employees have received the COVID-19 vaccine. He said he and city council members are hoping to inspire other employees to follow suit. We want to make sure that we are incentivizing people to get the vaccine because we know that is uh, the goal, uh, which is going to ultimately lead us to reduce uh, hospital rates. Currently, 70 employees are in quarantine due to exposure or illness. Dyer says that's reason enough to require testing or proof of vaccination. We're not going to uh, accept at this point any type of self-attestation. We are going to require and have been requiring our employees to show uh, their vaccination card. Dyer said the city will not yet require people to get the vaccine, but hopes to have weekly tests running by September 7th. City Council Member Gary Bredefield opposed the new mandate, stating forcing employees to get tested weekly is harassment. For the California Report, I'm Mari Bolaños. And that is the California Report for Friday, August 6th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinny Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Tovin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Blue Shield of California. Rebuilding the future of health care with every Californian in mind. From quality and equitable care to not-for-profit values. Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. 
This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading!